Would you turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 3? Uh, John chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 16. And um, I don't really like to make these announcements, but um, I need to give you an update on uh, the, the restroom situation. <laughs> um, uh, ben, are they working back there or no? Okay, so I don't have to preach super fast today. Um, okay, all right. Well, if uh, these ones behind you are not working, uh, but the ones behind me are, so if you if you want, uh, if you need to, uh, you can go out the back door and go along the sidewalk and go up the stairs into the office area and go down that hallway and you will find restrooms at the end. Will, how about that? Um, made you sit down for that. If you wouldn't mind standing uh, as we read God's word. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, words that we are familiar with and probably most of us know by heart. Uh, stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us in his word this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now, God, with these words that we have likely all heard before, Father, I pray that their familiarity would not cause us to lose sight of how truly remarkable and how amazing it is that you love us, that you care about us, and that you sent your one and only Son on a mission here to this earth in order to save us from our sins so that we would not perish, that we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, come on. God loves me, your friend says. You're a Christian, aren't you? You believe John 3.16, God loves everyone. What would you say in a moment like that? Somebody is telling you God loves everybody. What would you say in a moment like that? Well, I'm somebody who believes that God does love everyone. And I would say, yes, you are correct. He does love everyone. And then we would go on and explain what that love then looks like, right? John 3.16, this, this, this text here before us, is one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible, right? It's probably one of the first, if not the first verse you memorized when you began memorizing Scripture. There are many <clears throat> non-Christians who know this verse and who quote this verse, right? I We used to see years ago, uh, anytime somebody would kick a field goal in a football game, uh, somebody would hold up a John 3.16 sign, right? Uh, this last season, I remember seeing a few of those here and there. But this is one of the most quoted and well-known verses in the entire Bible. But you know what? It's also one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. In fact, there are many people who have distorted, who have built a distorted and shaky belief, a distorted and shaky theology, or we say a shaky and shallow theology about God based off of this verse, thinking that because God loves the world, they then think that he's going to save everyone no matter what, 
no matter what they believe or how they live. But friends, is that really what John 3.16 is really about? Does God loving the world, uh, does it really mean that, that we can live however we want and believe and do whatever we want? You know, those who quote John 3.16, they tend to miss verse 18, right? Where if you look at that verse, it says, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, what, what John is saying there is whoever isn't believing in Jesus is what? They're condemned. They're lost in their sins. That's why God had to send his son Jesus so that we would not perish, so that we would not be judged for our sins. You know, as you heard that, uh, heard me read uh, John 3.16 this morning, uh, did you begin to think, why are we going to get a whole sermon on this one verse? You know, I've memorized this verse. I, I knew it even before I became a Christian. It's, it's an elementary truth to me. Friends, there are some who think that John 3.16 is elementary and it's what gets you into Christianity and then you move on from it. Because if that's what you are thinking, then be careful. Because the truths of the gospel that, that we begin to see here, that we learn from the section in John chapter 3, is not just for salvation, not just for entrance into Christianity, but it's for sustaining us as we grow in faithfulness to Christ. The, the truths of the gospel that we learn from this section in John 3 isn't simply uh, just for salvation. It's not just some truth that you learn when you become a Christian and then you move on and you graduate from. Actually, if you were to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 2 through 5, uh, Jesus is speaking to a church there in Revelation chapter 2. In the book of Revelation, there, there are uh, letters written to several churches in, in the first two chapters. And, um, and listen to what Jesus has to say to the church at Ephesus. Listen to these words. He says, I know your works. Uh, Revelation 2, verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What is Jesus accusing them of doing? They have lost their first love. They have moved on from probably the, the, tr the elementary truths of the gospel and they no longer treat each other with respect and kindness. They look at, at the message of the gospel. They, they look at the good news that, that God loved the world and sent his only son. They, they look at that as something that is just for new believers, just for new Christians. Kind of like how many people treat this verse here, right? Oh, that's not for me anymore. John 3.16, I'm so much smarter now. I've given an, I've, I dive into such deeper teachings about theology and doctrine. Friends, if that's you, 
I urge you not to think that way and never move on from these beginning teachings of the gospel. Or maybe there's some of you who are sitting here this morning and you say, yes, John 3.16, I love that verse. I have that verse hanging up on my wall. I've got it in my room. I, I have it stitched onto my favorite pillow or I wear a shirt around that, says, that, that has John 3.16 written on the front of it. Friends, don't let this verse become too familiar to you. This verse is not meant to become familiar to us. Every time we read this verse that God loves the world, that should shock us. John 3.16 should shock you. Does it? Did this text shock you when we read it? My guess is that for most of us in this room, this verse has become all too familiar to us. It's not shocking to us anymore. Or, or maybe there are some of you who are sitting here thinking, oh yes, I, I've heard about this verse many times. But what is God's love? Well, today that's what we're going to be looking at here. We'll be focusing mainly on what is God's love? What does the Bible teach about God's love? A little bit different than what we normally do on a Sunday morning. We're going to kind of zoom out and look at the big picture of God's love throughout the scriptures and then zoom back in to verse 16 and it's to help us understand what it means that God loves the world. So how does God love the world? You know, there's more to God's love than you think. Uh, much of our culture's view of love has really begun to infiltrate the church. How does our culture, how does the world view love? It, 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 what, what is it wrapped up in? It's wrapped up in self, right? It's wrapped up in me. It's about receiving and not giving. However, when we see how love is used in the scriptures, it's not about yourself. It's not about receiving. Rather, it's about others. It's about giving. It's others focus. And so when we're seeking to define the love of God, God's love, we need to turn to Scripture. And there's more to God's love than often what is portrayed in our culture or portrayed on movies or, or said uh, just in passing. In fact, there are various ways that God's love is described throughout the Scriptures. Um, I, I found a, a book to be very, very helpful on this. It's called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God by, by Don Carson. A very, very helpful book in understanding the ways in which God's love is used throughout Scripture. Think about it this way. When I say I love pizza, do I mean something different than when I love my wife? I hope so, right? Maybe not for you, but for me, I do mean something different. I love pizza, and I love Megan, but I mean two vastly different things by those things, right? Um, but there, So in, in a similar sense, and that's a terrible illustration, but maybe it made some sense to you, uh, uh, but... There are different ways that love is used throughout Scripture. So the first way that love is used throughout Scripture or communicated from God's love is it's the love of the Father for His Son, Jesus, and the Son's love for the Father. In other words, love is often used as, as between God the Father and God the Son and, and between Jesus and between God the Father. And, and as we read throughout the Gospel of John, you see that that theme is incredibly important. It's woven all throughout the Gospel of John. In fact, if you were to look down at John 3, verse 35, it says what? The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Or if you were to turn over to John 5, verse 20, you would see that it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. 
So there is the first way in which God's love is used throughout the scriptures. Well, not the first way, but one of the ways in which it's used is the specific love between God the Father and God the Son. Uh, a second way in which the, the love of God is described throughout scripture is that it's God's love and care, his providential love and care over all of creation. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it means that God has made the world and he cares for it by sustaining it and guiding. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks of how sparrows, they neither sow nor they reap. And yet, what does God do? God provides for them. He provides food for them. How God also clothes the grass of the field. So by God providing food for sparrows and clothing the grass of the field, what he's doing is he's demonstrating his love and his care for creation by sustaining it and by keeping it going. The third way in which the love of God is used throughout Scripture is we see God's love expressed in his salvific stance, his saving stance toward his fallen world. In other words, his saving love towards the world. That's what we see here in John 3. Okay, so that's the third way. The fourth way that God's love is used throughout Scripture is that it's his particular, effective, and saving love towards his children. In other words, God sets his affection on his children in a way in which he does not set his affection on others. Well, what are some examples of that? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, it says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in them. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. In other words, we see God's love in a specific way towards his people, right? So he loves them in a specific way. Uh, we also see that used in the way in which Christ loves the church, right? And he gave his life for the church, for, for the children of God. Ephesians 5, 25 says that uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Example of this, as I already mentioned, right? Um, you have a specific love for your family that's different than your love for food, right? Or think of it this way. If I say, I've, I've, I've talked about this before, if I say I love Megan and I love you all, which I do, it's a different, right? I have a specific love for my family that I don't have for the world, right? We can still say we love the people in this world, but we have a specific love for our family, okay? Fifth and finally, uh, God's love in the scriptures is that his love is sometimes said to be directed toward his own people in a provisional or conditional way. What I mean by this is conditional, meaning depending on our obedience. So this has to do with our relationship with God, though, once we know him. Let's be clear about that. Once we come to know God, God has set his affection on us and he loves us. And let me get this straight. This has to do with our relationship with God once we know him. This is this is not how um, this is not us trying to earn God's love and favor. We already have it, but we can act in a way that is disobedient to his will. Right. We can act in a way that's unfaithful to him. Uh, John 15 verses nine through 10 says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then what does Jesus say? He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let me be clear. God has a specific love for his people that we can never lose. But we can live in such a way that is disobedient to him. 
we do not obey God to be loved by him as if our obedience merits or gains his love. No, no, no. We obey God's commands because we are seeking to abide in his love and because we are already loved by him. And there's a fine line. There's a world of difference between trying to earn God's love in the way you act and living faithfully out of the love that he has already demonstrated for you. All right, that's a lot of stuff going on there, right? A lot of different ways in which the love of God is is described throughout Scripture. But what does John 3 say? So we zoomed out, let's zoom back in, okay? What, what, what is being talked about here in John 3? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What type of love is that we are seeing here? Well, we see that this is the type of love in which God is expressing his saving stance toward his fallen world. And friends, that should shock us, right? The very fact that God loves this world is shocking. It should be shocking to you. It's shocking not because the world is so big of a place, but so bad of a place. That's why this statement that God so loved the world is shocking. The fact that, that God loved the world should be shocking to us. It, it was shocking to a first century Jew because they believed that God only had a specific love for his people. They believed that God loved the nation of Israel. But this verse shows us that God's love is much deeper and, and, and there's more to it than that. It's not just for a particular race, not just for a particular people, but he loves the world. And to you and me, that means everything right because if god only had a love just for the jews then most of us here who are not cannot trace our lineage to to jewish lineage most of us would not be loved by him so this should be a shocking statement right this would have been shocking for a first century jew and it should be shocking for us today saying that god so loved the world is not just shocking for the first century jew but it should be shocking for us today. Why is it not? If you were to go up to somebody on the street and tell them that God loves them, what do you think the average response would be? Do you think that would be a response of shock? A response of awe? What do you mean God loves me? How could God love me? I think most people today assume that they're just loved by God. Right? They assume that uh, they're unlikely to be surprised. And they would say, of course God loves me. He's like that, isn't he? You know, why wouldn't he love me? I, 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 I'm such a nice person. I'm such a good person. I, I'm okay. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're a good person. I'm a good person. You're a good person. We're all good people. God loves you and me. Well, God loving the world is shocking, friends, because the world is so bad and so sinful of a place. And we tend to forget that, right? We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, a lot of times we, we, we think we're just new, people are just born neutral to God. No, no, no. You're born into this world in a state of sinful rebellion against him. And what do we deserve? We deserve his condemnation, right? As verse 18 says, we don't deserve his love. God's love is not shocking because of how big the world is. Because there's so many people know it's shocking because of how sinful and bad the world truly is. The world is actually so wicked 
uh, and so sinful that God speaking to through John later in first John chapter two, if you want to turn there with me, verse 15 and 17 forbids the Christians to love the world or anything in the world. Listen to this. Now, let, let, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, let's be clear. When Christians are not to love the world, uh, what he means there is loving the sinful uh, things of this world, right? Sinfully participating in the things of this world. And yet at the same time, God loves the world with a selfless, costly love of redemption. That is absolutely shocking, friends. How do we see God's love expressed for the world in John 3.16? How do you see his love for the world expressed with this selfless and costly love of redemption? He said he gave his only son. Now, some of your translations say, for God so loved the world. And sometimes people uh, misunderstand the so love, thinking that's the intensity with God, uh, in which God loved the world. But actually, it's more literally in this way, God loved the world. And how does he do so? By sending his only son. God loved the world in this way. He shows us what love is. It's a giving and a sending of his only son. You know, when our culture talks about love, it's a view of love that is Focus inward. What I love you because of the way in which you make me feel. I love you because of what you can do for me. Love is all about what, what you can get from somebody to make you happy. What this person can give me uh, makes me feel special, so I love them. But is that how the Bible speaks of love here in John 3? Friends, what do we have to give the Lord? Nothing but our sin, right? God shows us that love is about giving. And it's about sacrifice. And what does God give? He gives his one and only son. He gives his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sends him here to this world on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And this mission was costly for Christ. It cost him his life. You know, in war, there are casualties. And we are in a war today. Not a war against flesh and blood, but one against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We're in a war against sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ shows us what love truly is. And that love is giving and it's sacrificial. John, in one of his other letters, Put it this way in 1 John 3, 16, speaking of Jesus, he says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. This we know love, Jesus laid down his life for you. Friends, Christ laid down his life for you. Because God loves you. And he cares for you and he knows the only way for you to be saved from your sins is for Jesus to take the punishment on the, that you deserve upon himself. 
Jesus lay down his life, but he also had authority to take it up again. He laid down his life as the only way in which to redeem and save God's children, but he had authority to take it up again. Christ died, and after three days, he rose from the grave, showing that sin and death had been defeated, and that God had accepted his perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people, for the sins of his children, for your sins. Christ had authority to to lay his life down, and he had authority to take it up again, so that we might be saved from God's punishment against our sins, and so that we would not have to fear the day in which we take our last breath. So friends, have you come to see this amazing and and how shocking it is, the love of God that he has for the world? Are you amazed by it? Or have you moved on from it? Have you moved on from this saving truth that we see here in John 3.16? Was John 3.16 just for you to get saved and then move on from? Has the truth that God so loved the world, has that become old news for you? Has this truth that that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, has this become has this become old news and has has that truth lost its excitement and its joy for you? Are you no longer excited about that old old story? Has the gospel and the good news of Christ coming to live a perfect life, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, has that become old boring news to you? So how do we live differently in light of what John 3.16 teaches us? How do we live differently in light of what this truth about God loving the world teaches us? I want to be clear. uh, uh, There are some people who try to explain away this verse and say God doesn't actually love the world. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't know how you can explain away John 3.16 and God not actually loving everybody. As I mentioned, there are different ways in which the love of God is used in Scripture, right? But it clearly teaches that he has a love for the world. God does not wish that anyone would perish, right? No matter where you are on uh, certain theological spectrums, you can't explain away the love that God has for this world, and it's demonstrated in sending his one and only Son to save us from our sins. Okay? So how then, though, do we live differently in light of what John is teaching us here in John 3.16? What well, seems like many in the church today have really just become apathetic. They've become complacent because they've moved on from this wonderful truth. And instead of being passionate about reaching their friends and family with the gospel, they're more concerned about politics or yardage. Friends, Jesus was sent on a mission to this world to save those who were perishing. And now this task of the gospel continuing to go forth, that task is given to us. We are given the task to finish that mission. So how do we live differently? Well, we see the love in which God has for this world. And let's have a love for the lost sinners in this world. Not Now, let me be clear, not the same type of love that John was talking about in his letter of not loving the things of this world. But is your heart broken by the fact that most people in this world don't know who Christ is? I mean, think about uh, the, the, the people who, well, we have a couple of bakers between our houses, most of us up here. But if we were in a city, uh, you know, most people live closer to, to people they have no idea than their own families, right? And, and, and think about it. People who live maybe just a couple hundred yards away from you, 
Every night they go to sleep and they don't know the love that God has for them. And that's just here. Not to mention the, the countless unreached people groups all over the world who have never even heard of John 3.16. Or, or you ask them if they know who Jesus is and they, they, they look at you like, is that a man down the road? I should know. Friends, how should we live differently in light of this? We should have our hearts broken by the fact that there are countless people who do not know this love, who have never been told of God loving the world and sending his only son so they might be saved from their sins. So let's fight against apathy. Let's fight against complacency. Let's fight against an inward focus and become passionate with sharing this good news of the gospel with those that God has placed in our lives. And let's also see this verse as a motivation to serve the Lord faithfully. Friends, this verse is not meant to be used as an opportunity to pursue your sin. Saying, I'm going to live in this way because I know God loves me. No, no, no. That's not the love of God that is being mentioned here. That is not how the love of God should, should, should transform you. It doesn't transform you into living a selfish life. It, it transforms you into a person who wants to seek to do his will and live faithfully for him. This verse here is not an excuse to live in sin. It's not an opportunity for you to pursue your sin, but to flee your sin and to fight your sin in light of the gospel. This verse should never be used as an excuse to explain your sin away. I'm going to do this because I know God loves me. No, no, no. That's a heart that's become hardened to the love that God has for you. Let's go back to your friend who says to you, God loves everyone. How would you respond? Well, I hope you would point out that, yes, he loves us and he loves us so much that he sent his only son to save us. And that salvation transforms us. Not to leave us in our sin, but to live faithfully for him. So friends, may you see the love of God and May you follow him obediently. May you seek also to be moved to action and reach this world for Christ. Because I pray that this week that maybe you would rekindle your passion and love for the Lord. And that you would never lose the wonder of the cross that we're about to sing about. And that may you always see it like the first time standing as a sinner. So friend, if you're here today, and you have never trusted in Christ. I pray that you would do so right now. Cry out to him in faith and say, Lord, save me. I see that you love me so much that you sent your one and only son. And that if I believe in him, I'll have eternal life. Say that you are not perfect. That you are a sinner. And Lord, I need you. Friend, if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after service today. But maybe you're here and you've heard better sermons on John 3.16 than the one I just preached. But I pray that your love for the Lord would be rekindled today. As you go from here, that you would have a burning passion to share this love with this lost and dying world around us. Let's pray. Father,
we come before you now, and Lord, it is truly incredible, in spite of everything, <laughs> that, that you love us. Lord, we have done nothing to deserve your grace. The only thing that we deserve is punishment for our sins. And yet you sent your one and only son to save us. Lord, how wonderful, how amazing that truth truly is. Father, I pray that we would never, that we would be a church that never moves on from this truth that we see here in John 3.16. That we would constantly be amazed by your grace. That, that we would see constantly the wonder of the cross that Jesus took our sins upon himself. So that we could have hope of eternal life. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.